0: The following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. All right, good morning. Let's uh, let's open our Bibles. First Corinthians chapter 14, It's where we're going to be today. Uh, this section of my Bible has been so well used that my pages are falling out of them. So that tells you a little bit about how much time has been on these sections of Scripture. Um, We're going to continue our walk through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to land today in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, Perhaps the most difficult and challenging chapter in the book. And if we remember, Paul's reason for writing this letter was he was writing it to a divided church, a group of people that he wanted them to become united in Jesus. And one of the issues that Paul wrote them about was about spiritual gifts and how to be united in the church with different backgrounds and different talents and skills that they might have. And over the last few weeks, we've been covering in this study, 1 Corinthians 12 through 13. And so here's just a brief recap of that that we've talked about. We've talked about while gifts are important, they are not preeminent in the life of the Christian. What is preeminent in the life of the Christian is Jesus. Jesus being declared Lord with our life and with our lips. He is to be absolutely Lord over all. And spiritual gifts are a gift from God. They're a grace from God, but they are not preeminent. We've also seen that each and every Christian, if you call yourself a child of God, you have been given a manifestation of the Spirit of God that we would call spiritual gifts. And gifts are to be used by God for the common good of others, and for building people up. And we've also seen that just like the Godhead is diverse, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have different roles. They are united in purpose. They are united in essence. The church is, is different in our gifts, different in our personalities, and we are to be united under the banner of Christ. And in the church, we use our gifts in unity. So it's this glorious display of God working in us as we, in a sense, reflect the unity that's found in the Godhead. And what we saw was that there are many gifts but one Lord, there are many members but one church. And then over the last couple of weeks, we looked at that famous love chapter, chapter 13. We noticed that Paul wrote that chapter. He put it right in the middle of the most challenging letter to a divided church. And just think about this. The best chapter on love is found in a letter to the most divided church in the Bible. That ought to tell us something. And it's also found right in the middle of the most challenging discussion that he was having with them, which was the issue of spiritual gifts. Because the Corinthians thought if you were spiritually gifted in certain ways, you were essentially super spiritual. And they compared their spiritual gifts. But Paul said, listen, gifts are not preeminent and they're not the sign of maturity love is. And so every every Christian can grow in love, even though we might have a variety of different gifts. Now, what's intriguing about that chapter is every other major religion in the world claims to have spiritual gifts. Yet a distinctly Christian view of spiritual gifts must begin and it must end with love. So it should come as no surprise that just like In the Corinthian days, and just like here in our days, maybe the most discussed and debated gift in the Bible is the gift of tongues, or speaking other languages. The Corinthians elevated that gift to a place that was not intended by God, and because of the vast number of languages in Corinth, Corinth was a a city where lots of commerce was done, lots of things came in and out of the town, lots of foreigners landing there, and there's a lot of languages spoken on Main Street. And so in Corinth, in the church in Corinth, people thought if you spoke in other languages, it defined your godliness or your spirituality. It showed that you were, you were something really special. And yet right before Paul dives into this whole discussion on that gift, don't forget, he started it with love. In order, for, in order for us to understand the speech gifts and how we operate in the church, we must understand 1 Corinthians 13. That's why Paul would begin chapter 14 with pursue love. Love must win the day in these discussions about things we differ over, and love must be the fruit of these gifts. Now, I grew up Southern Baptist and uh, yet have a deep appreciation for spiritual gifts. Um, one of the things I grew up under was anybody who claimed to have certain gifts was not as spiritual as you were. I remember vividly going on a date with a young lady. and As I was on the date, I realized she went to a charismatic church. And I was told, and she told me in the middle, uh, middle of our dinner that she spoke in other tongues. And I said, great, it's time to go home now. <laughs> That's how we were raised. That that is not biblical love and operation. And so when we think about these type of things that we disagree on, or things that we might have difference of opinions on, I, I think that the 17th century, Rupertus Melodinus, his quote says it very well: "An essentials unity, and not essentials liberty, and in all things charity." It's really true in this discussion. So this brings us to 1 Corinthians 14. Now what I want to do in this particular chapter is we're going to cover this chapter really in three sermons, but two sermons in particular over the next few couple sermons is we're going to cover the two gifts that are listed in this text. And we're going to define them and we're going to try to talk about their usefulness in the church today. That's what we're going to start with. So today we're going to start with the gift of prophecy because that's what Paul starts with. So it'll be important for us to start where God starts. So let's stand together. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. And then we're going to jump down and read verses 26 through 33. Not because we're skipping text, but because we're going to cover the other verses next time we're together. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. Follow along as I read. This is the reading of God's word Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, let's skip down to verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpret, and no one to interpret, let each, each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you today that you bring us to really challenging things in the Bible. And we thank you that, that your word is clear. And we just want to be people who apply what your word says. And so help us to be a church that not only desires these type of things, but Lord, that we in faith then step out to operate in them and trust you to, to go to work. Help us to be a church that's orderly and peaceful and a place that people can come and worship God with joy. And Father, I pray most of all that you would reveal to us today that you're a God who cares. And you care about the little things in our lives, and that's why you give us these type of gifts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You May be seated. Now, as we start today, let's just kind of get a a bird's eye view of what was happening in this church. And this will, if you've been in a church like this, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But this is what was going on in Corinth. The church in Corinth was anything but boring. It was quite the exhilarating and exciting place to be. Um, People would walk in the door. And as the service would begin, interruptions were everywhere. It might look something like this. One lady would stand up and just start speaking in another language that nobody understood. At the same time, while she was doing that, another person would just jump up and start declaring some word of prophecy out loud. And then over on the other side of the room, you might have somebody loudly praying over somebody for healing. And you had this constant movement and chaos going on inside the church. It was chaotic. And the gift of tongues, which we're going to cover next time, was the most widely used gift in the corporate setting of the church. And the people in the church were massively confused by this. They didn't understand why all the chaos, what does the church supposed to look like when we get together, and that's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 14. He wrote it because he wants to put tongues or other languages in their rightful place in the church setting while putting a premium... On serving people who come to church, and when things are spoken in the church, that everybody can understand. It's all intelligible, so we can understand exactly what is being said. So in other words, we live in Douglas County, Oregon. The majority of us here speak English. It would be odd if somebody got up in the pulpit and just randomly started speaking in another language without anybody being able to interpret that. Paul's concern in 1 Corinthians 14 is things must be done in a way that everybody is served with intelligible speech, that things are clear. Yet I want you to notice something about what Paul does in this instruction. Here's a church that is chaotic. It is probably the most disorderly church in the New Testament with regard to the spiritual gifts. Yet notice what Paul says to them in verse 1. He tells them to not only desire spiritual gifts, but especially that they may prophesy. Not about you. I'm I'm a dad. I got five kids. And when my kids are doing something chaotic, my response normally is, knock it off, right? Stop doing it. My response to the church in Corinth would have been, knock it off. What are you guys doing? That's not what Paul does. Paul rather says, again, The truth is we have spiritual gifts. The truth is they must be used in order. Knock off the disorderliness and misapplication. Now you've heard me say this before. Truth that is misapplied does not take away the truth. So most of us in our challenge with spiritual gifts or understanding of spiritual gifts, we get nervous about them because of the misapplication of them, not the truth of them. So we've got to understand that. And so when Paul is instructing them, he he wants them to see desire spiritual gifts and especially desire that you may prophesy. Now he says that not to make prophecy the greatest of all gifts, but he does it in reference to this tongues phenomenon going on in the church in Corinth. You can imagine how chaotic this place would be and if that gift was elevated to be the hyper-spiritual gift. Paul's saying, no, let's put tongues in its rightful place. And so in Corinth, Paul wanted things to be done In an intelligible way, because he wanted people to be served really well. In the church, the gifts of speech, languages, tongues, prophecy build up the church, which is an act of love when the words are spoken clearly. Right? If you go to a Tuesday morning sermon or Sunday review that we do every Tuesday morning, one of the first questions normally that is asked, and I usually ask this often, is, was the sermon clear? was their clarity because Paul wants people served. God wants people to hear things in their own language where they can clearly understand it. That's Paul's concern in 1 Corinthians 14. It's basically like Paul saying it this way. Let's do all the things we do in the church in an orderly way and let's do it with words that are clearly understood by anybody who might walk in the door of the church. It's all about clarity, All about intelligible speech in the church service. So we're going to start with prophecy because that's what Paul does. So let's look at the first point there, which is prophecy defined. Now to help us with this, we're going to look at four questions, and these will be kind of rapid-fire questions. The first one is, what is prophecy? Where is it used in the New Testament? Why is it used in the New Testament? And how is it used in the New Testament? Now this is important. We're staying in the New Testament for a reason. When you look at the Old Testament prophets, you have to see them as the equivalent of the New Testament apostles. When the gift of prophecy gets into the New Testament, it's actually something that 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 many people in the church are doing, not just a select one like Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah, right? So you got to see it that way. That's why we're going to stay in the New Testament for the reason. So let's let's find out first what is prophecy and what I'm going to do is I'm going to combine In my opinion, two of the best definitions I've run on this by Wayne Grudem and a guy named Bill Patton. And here's what they wrote. This will stay on the screen for you so you can write it down. The gift of prophecy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind in human words for the edification of the church or an individual and is subject to evaluation. The gift of prophecy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind in human words for the edification of the church or an individual and is subject to evaluation. Now what you'll notice as this stays up on the screen is that it is telling something that comes from God. Meaning it's revealing something that's hidden to the hearer potentially or to the speaker even. But notice as well, it spontaneously comes to mind, meaning prophecy is not necessarily something planned. It's more of a sudden type of gift. That's why, that's why I, I don't agree with some conservative commentators who say prophecy is simply preaching. I think preaching lands in the teaching area and as well as in the lesson giving, not in the spontaneous deliverance of some sort of prophetic word of knowledge that we'll talk about more in a moment. It's spoken in human words distinguishing it from God's word in the Bible now this is really important because prophecy is not authoritative we to be very clear about that God's word is authoritative prophecy is not authoritative matter of fact we'd say God's word is normal that's how we normally hear from the Lord non-normal is we get a word of prophecy it's just it's not normal it doesn't happen every day we have the Bible every day. And finally, notice the last part is it's subject to evaluation. Now, my question would be, is God's word subject to evaluation? No. God's word evaluates us. But prophecy, on the other hand, is evaluated. It's not a standalone gift. Like the word of God is a standalone authority to us. It is to be submitted to God's word, and it's evaluated by other people. So that's a good kind of working definition. Second question we need to ask is, where is it used in the New Testament? <clears throat> well, these will come up on the screen kind of rapid fire here, but in the book of Acts, there were prophets in Jerusalem and Antioch just to name two churches. Right, there were other churches, but that, that was one, one just in the book of Acts. In the book of, in the book of Romans, we know prophets were there because in Romans 12, Paul says, if you're a prophet, utilize your gift in faith. And we know in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is trying to put the gift of prophecy in its right place, telling us there are prophecies going on in the church. Yet one of my favorite ones is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, where Paul tells the Thessalonians to not despise prophecy, but to test it. Now this is fascinating because if you've grown up in the church long enough, you can either become suspect to the degree that you begin to despise something. And I think Paul is basically here saying, be careful. Notice what he says here. He says, desire spiritual gifts, especially you prophesy. But in First Thessalonians five, don't despise it. So I think we've got to be we've got to be careful of how we view spiritual gifts just simply because of the misapplication that we might have seen or heard about. So when you look at the landscape of the New Testament, this gift is widely used in many of the churches. It's widely believed this gift was used all over the New Testament world. Third question, why? Why is it used in the New Testament? Well, the first one is, the first reason is it's a fulfillment of Acts chapter 2. Or excuse me, it's a fulfillment of of what happened in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when Christians became filled with the Holy Spirit and the results are clear. As foretold by the prophet Joel and quoted in Acts chapter 2, one of the results of the Spirit coming upon God's people in the New Testament era was, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Meaning, there's going to be a wide display of this going on everywhere. This gift would become normal in the New Testament church in the sense that they would have it more often than they did in the Old Testament because the Holy Spirit had come upon the church. So when you see church after church in the New Testament operating in this gift, it really is a byproduct of the Spirit's work in the church and a fulfillment of what God prophesied and promised through Joel. Now what's fascinating is you'll read that in Acts chapter 2 and you're going to notice something interesting that Joel says in these last days... See, we, we get all wigged out. We think that we're currently in the last days because certain things have transpired. Friends, we've been in the last days since Acts chapter 2. So we got to get our brains wrapped around that fact. We've been in that time since Acts 2. That's what the Scripture says. Now, the other reason is not just fulfillment. But the other reason why we have prophecy in the New Testament, and this is, a, this is a powerful, is because God delights in directing and helping his people. She so had to ask, why, why would God re- bring things that are hidden and revealed and, and, and not revealed to his people about areas of life that they need help in? Well, it tells you that God cares. That God's concerned. It tells us that, that God wants to confirm and give direction to the life of his people. God cares about those things. And he is willing to direct us as we go through life. When we think of the gift of prophecy, often we think it's future telling. But sometimes, if you do you do the math on this, go back and research Old Testament prophecies, and you're going to realize very few of them were future telling. Many of them had to do with their current circumstance they were sitting in. But notice what Paul does, and he tells us the same thing in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, where it says that God wants prophecy to bring about upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Those aren't future telling things. Those are current events. The gift of prophecy is utilized to edify people, encourage people, and comfort them in their current situation. Now, Gordon Fee, I think, nails it best when he wrote this, these three words, encouragement, upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation, set forth some parameters of the divine intent of prophecy for the sake of believers and indicate that in Paul's view, the primary focus of a prophetic utterance is not the future, but the present situations of the people of God. See, this tells us something. This tells us that God delights in and is concerned about your life. That's what it tells us. He is concerned as a loving father to give you everything you need to make good decisions in life. And the gift of prophecy is a unique gift of God's grace to help you in this life right now in your particular situation. Now, some people will say, "Well, wait, I, I don't need prophecy. I've got the Bible." You know, here's the Bible, it's right here in front of me, and I don't need it. But we all know, don't we, there are some things that we need decisions about in the Bible that the Bible does not explicitly speak to in the moment. Like, you know, an example, some of you have seniors that are graduating high school, and the debate is, what college should they go to? The Bible does not come out and say, thus saith the Lord, go to Oregon State, right? It it doesn't do that, or a job change, Or, or a move. Right? It, d- it doesn't direct us in those things it, in a sense of that, that specific, you know, specific word. That's where the gift of like prophecy comes into play. In the sense of there are things that are hidden from us that are not clearly seen to us in Scripture that come underneath the principles of Scripture that people share with us as a friend. J- I've been praying about this. I know you're struggling with this. Here's just an idea. Here's something that I think could be from the Lord. And there are times when God uses people in our life to share those kind of things with us. This happened to me a few years ago. This uh, We've had it happen a few different times. But I remember vividly being in a very challenging conflict resolution situation that I was asked to help solve. And I remember being in the room, and it was one of the most difficult things I've ever been a part of. And we, I mean, it... We could not break through, and at one point of the meeting, we'd been at it for about two hours. Finally, I said, "Hey, can we do? Can we just pray? I, I don't know what to do." And we just stopped praying, and we got done praying. And I said, "Does Does anybody have anything to share?" And one of the people in the room says, "You know, I I do." And we can kind of take it or leave it. And what they shared reconciled the entire situation. And I walked away going, God has met us. I don't care what you call it, word of prophecy, word of knowledge, caution, impression, compulsion, I don't care what you call it, God showed up, right? And in that moment, I was thankful that God showed up, right? That's what I'm talking about. We all need this. And God gives us this gift because he cares. And he loves his people. That's why we have it. Let's go to the next question then. How is it used in the New Testament? Now, This is super critical because I don't know if you I, I've traveled a lot to various churches. So I've had the privilege of preaching in a lot of places. And I will one day, Lord willing, write a book about the wacky places I've been to. Um, and I've seen some of the craziest off the cuff stuff that you can ever imagine. Um, and I've been in churches where the prophet was on hand. And you walk in the room, and, and I remember being, coming to play, and I, and I said, hey, just be, I said, just be aware, of the, the prophet's here. I'm like, oh my, what, who, what? you know, Elijah showed up? <laughs> you know, really? And I walk in the room, and, and, and there he is. And everybody walks by him. They don't want to look him in the eye. They're afraid he's going to read their mail. You know, like, you know, this guy knows my mom. He knows, and she's been dead for 30 years. I mean, this is weird. It's stuff. It's like, it, people are scared. They're afraid he's going to call them out in a service. And I've had it, I've been in services literally where sitting in the row getting ready to preach and the prophet got up on stage and just began to just go after people. And I'm there looking around the room like, where's the leader of this thing? And it it is, it's so out of order. It's so out of order and so misapplied. No wonder people are scared. So we've got to know how is this utilized in the New Testament? Because, again, it's been so misapplied, or we've heard it misapplied, that we kind of freak out and our palms get sweaty. So how's it used? And what we're going to notice is something very fascinating. When Paul talks about this gift being used in 1 Corinthians 14, this is the most extensive discussion on it. And there's some insights in it that are really helpful. Remember, Paul's issue is that when things are spoken, they must be intelligible. And listen, they must build the church. Not scare the church. Build the church. And the Corinthians thought that gift of tongues meant that somebody was super spiritual and the priority was all out of whack. So people lost all sense of self-control and order. And so people are just doing whatever they wanted to do. But notice verse 5. Paul says that he wants us to prophesy... And the reason for that is because prophecy is intelligible. You can hear it. It's clear. It's in the known language. That's why tongues needs an interpretation to it, because it needs something in the known language so everybody can understand. Paul's point of emphasis on the gift of prophecy is this. Do everything you can to build up the church. So these rogue prophets who are not building up the church, are out of bounds, or are out of order. Paul's point is, do everything you can to build up the church and speak in ways that everyone can understand. I mean, imagine Dave Quilla, who really loves and appreciates the language of Mandarin, gets up and starts preaching in that language. We would all go, that's fantastic, Dave. What did you say? We would not understand any of that. That's Paul's point here. The second thing you're going to notice is the parameters that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 14 for this gift. When somebody says they're gifted with prophecy, some think they can just do whatever they want. So when the prophet was on hand, the dude had the floor. And you're literally, I'm literally looking around the room like, who's going to knock this guy off the floor? Because this is a mess. People are getting messed up here. What What do we do? There's no order or structure. But Paul gives some parameters. And notice verse three, the very clear parameters of verse three that the gift is to be used to help believers. Notice the word upbuilding. We could use the word edifying. That really is Paul's heart in these gifts it's to be edifying and encouraging and consoling. In other words, if the gifts are not used for loving people building up the church and being used for the common good, they're out of bounds. You can even do that with the gift of preaching and the gift of teaching. If it's being used to glorify the preacher, it's out of bounds. If it's being utilized to just simply push an agenda, it's out of bounds. Gifts are reused for loving people, for building up the church and for the common good. See, this means that gifts... Especially prophecy, are not about the gifted person. They're really about the giver. They're about God and the people that God gave the gift for, which is His church. Prophecy is to build up Christians and be a source of comfort. That idea where you don't want to look a dude in the eye because you're afraid they're going to read your mail, that's not prophecy. That's pathetic. It's sad because that's not the way biblical gifts are utilized. Biblical gifts are to be utilized for love, for the other person's well-being, to give and to serve them for the glory of God and the good of them, and for the good of their soul. So it's to be edifying, it's to be encouraging, it's to be consoling. But the next parameter that Paul gives in in chapter 14 is in verses 29 to 33, is there must be an order to the gift. See, nowhere, nowhere in the New Testament is prophecy given the floor. Nowhere. Not one time do you find where it just says, that guy's a prophet, get up and talk. Not one time. Rather in the church, things are to be done in order with two and no more than three speaking each in its turn. Now imagine the rebuke this was for the Corinthians. When they got people just jumping up, talking all the time. And Paul says, hey, stop. Two, no more than three, each in turn. See Paul's point is, and I, I love what he's doing. He's emphasizing self-control and order, for the purpose of revealing the order and peace that's found in God. The Corinthians and many today think that if somebody gets a spontaneous thought, they think it's from God. They just have to say it. They can't control it. It's just gotta just gotta come out. But Paul says, guess what? If you get a, get a spontaneous thought like that, you got to wait your turn. And the reason you can wait your turn is because if it is a gift of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will produce the fruit of the Spirit of God, which is self control and patience. If you cannot control yourself to share a gift, That gift is not controlled by the Spirit. Now why? Why does it need to be like this? Because order in the church reveals the order in God. And this should be a concern of ours. When we gather in the church service, it is not here for us to be seen as, boy, those guys are really cool. That guy's a great communicator. Boy, that worship leader, boy, he can really get it. That's not, that's not what we're here. No, we are here to put on display the glory and the majesty and the wonder of God. And everything else pales in comparison. And if anything distracts from that, we got to do everything we can to stop it. And Paul's point in this is, Corinthians, you're distracting from the order and the glory of God by your chaos. Get in order to reveal the glory of God and the order of God to people that come in the door. That should be our concern. Chaos does not reveal the glory of God. Unintelligible speech does not reveal God. So we should be concerned about order and peace because we're concerned about revealing God to anybody who walks in these doors. That's the concern. That leads us to the last parameter that Paul gives, which it's it's subject to evaluation. Notice how Paul puts this in verse 32. Prophets are subject to... To other prophets. And later in verses that we didn't read, verses 36 36 and 37, prophecy is subject to the Word of God. Meaning, this gift is not on par with Holy Scripture, it is to be evaluated by Holy Scripture. All prophetic words in the church are to be viewed through the lens of God's holy word, not the other way around. Now, you might say, yeah, we get that. Well, friends, there there is a move today in the church, and it is rampant in Roseburg, that says we no longer need the Bible, because we've got prophetic words. And they begin to slowly change words found in the Bible, And they create an entirely new Bible. And so prophetic words evaluate the Bible rather than the Bible evaluating the prophetic words. Prophecy must be evaluated. It is subject to God's word. It is something that is subject to the leaders in the church. Now an obvious implication of this if, that if if things are being done to edify the church, and Scripture directs leaders to lead the church, then prophecy must be evaluated and submitted to the leaders in the church. I can't tell you how many times we've had rogue prophets show up at our door and want to come in here and give us a word of rebuke. And every one time, one of our elders has stood at the door and said, no, you're not welcome here. It's not your place. You don't know this church. You're not here to console, edify, or encourage. You're not a trusted member of what we do here. And the word you're bringing does not fit with the bounds of Scripture. Sorry. You want to be in a church where the pulpit and things spoken from the front are intelligible and clear, and they were given in submission to God's word. We live in a world where traveling prophets come and go, and they just go into churches and think they don't have to submit to anybody. Well, Paul gives a very strong word about that type of person in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 38, when he said this, that a man who's not submitted to other prophets, the word of God, and the leaders in the church is not to be recognized in the church. There's no ground. There's no no room for that type of sloppiness when it comes to these type of gifts. So just to recap. The gift of prophecy and defining it is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind in human words for the edification of the church or an individual and is subject to evaluation. It can be a word of warning, a caution, a confirmation by God. It is to be helpful to Christians and it must be done in order and in submission to other prophets, the local leaders, and to the Bible. So the second question then and second point today is how should we think about this gift in the church today? And there's two points and these won't take long. Two points. The first one is we should earnestly desire to prophesy. Notice how Paul put this in verse one. He says, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I know that some may think, but isn't this a bit weird? Well, odd, to which my response would be, not really. It might seem strange because of some of our paradigms or, or past situations or <clears throat> bad experiences, but I can tell you this, biblical prophecy in the New Testament is not weird at all. It's actually just the outflow, the natural outflow of, your, of our desire to build the church and glorify God and love one another. That's really all it is. The natural outflow of our relationships with one another. So the real question is, do you want to be helpful to the church? And the answer is, yes, I know you do. You love this church. You want to be helpful to the church. And you want to serve people. Then desiring something like this won't be hard for you. Because when you love God, you will naturally love what God loves, and God loves directing his people. When we love others, we want God's best for them, and when we ask God to pray for them for something that they're asking about, God will give us help to serve them. It's no different than a friend asking you for direction in life, and as you're praying for them driving down the road, something spontaneous comes up and you go, oh, that's an interesting thought. I might give that to them. Had this happen multiple times. I'll drive down the road, which is my best moments of thinking. And as I'm thinking, I, I go, Oh, that's a great idea. And I give somebody a call and I say, Hey, this, I want you, I, I just thinking about you. You asked me to be thinking about this. Here's a thought. This could be something from the Lord. It could just be what I ate for dinner last night. But here, here's a thought. That, that's the, nat- I don't, again, I don't care what you call it. It's a natural relationship of us loving each other and thinking about situations when people say, could you pray about this with me? When a young mom says, could you, could you, pray? I don't know how to handle my young child. And you're at home and you're handling your young child and you're praying for that situation. And all of a sudden some idea comes up and you go, I wonder if she's tried this. And you begin to give that and share that. Don't know if this from the Lord, take it or leave it. So we need to earnestly desire this. The second thing is, we should share and receive prophetic words with humility and care. So if we're going to earnestly desire it, and we're going to pray about it, you should probably expect that at some point, God's going to deliver, right? And now it's a moment for you to step out and share something. Now, in the conservative churches, we use words like promptings, or cautions, or insight, or nudgings. I don't, again, I don't care what you call it. If you're expecting God to meet you to help a friend or you're expecting God to share something with you from a friend that could be helpful, you better be prepared to receive it and give it because God will deliver. (laughs) He just does that. He's so good about that kind of thing. So how do we do this? How do we do it? Well, if you think that you have something to share, I think you need to evaluate it before you share it few questions. Is it encouraging to that person? Is it going to build them up? Does it provide a warning about a situation they've asked you to pray about and you get you see a concern and you need to share a warning? Is it used for caution? Like, hey, here's some yellow flags. You can do it if you want to do it, but I'm just giving you some yellow flags. Does this, does what I'm going to share glorify God? Does it honor God? Does it serve them? Meaning it's giving them it, you know, something really they can hang on to, and and really, lastly, probably most important, doesn't comply with the Bible. That's important because several years ago, in a situation, a lady came in randomly. She said, "I know you're pastor. I got a question for you." I said, "Great." She says, uh, "I've been married for however many years, and this prophet told me I need to divorce my husband." And I want to submit that to you because I really think that's the right thing to do. And I said, okay, well, so before we do that, can we help me evaluate your marriage with you and understand different reasons for why you think this way? And there was zero reason for this woman to get out of her marriage. And I said, listen, that that word is not from the Lord. That violates Scripture. And if it doesn't comply with Scripture, then you you don't share it. And you certainly don't receive it. So as you go through those questions and you get something that you think you want to share, then the answer would be step out in faith and go share it with a friend. But we should share it humbly and carefully. Here's what I mean. In the church gathered, there should be sharing it in order. So at CLF, in order to kind of maintain some order, we always have an elder that sits right here. Normally it's Dave Quilla. And Dave Kula has a mic. We call that the participation mic. And our our members know if they have something to share, they come down here to talk to Dave. They say, I think I want to share something with the church or ahead of time. And Dave approves it or disapproves it. And then at any point in the service, if he approves it, we give an opportunity for it just to maintain order. Two, no more than three. Helps us evaluate things, helps us protect the church. It helps things to be said in, in an intelligible way to the congregation. A great example of this happened a few years ago. Before the service started, Chris G., before he was an elder, came up to one of our elders and he said, you know what, I, I think the Lord's given me something I want to share with the church. And he shared with the elder. The elder said, absolutely. Chris got up and shared what he was sharing. and He was talking about, the word he gave was about the Lord being a good shepherd to us. Unbeknownst to Chris, Dave Rubel was preaching that Sunday on Jesus being the good shepherd. And as Dave got to preach, he was overwhelmed that God had spoken this word to the people that confirmed and as well added to what Dave was going to share. At the end of a sermon, Dave tied in Chris's prophetic word in with what he was sharing And we walked away, and we said, none of that was weird. You know what it was? God showed up, and we all went, wow, God showed up. And it was an amazing moment, because he did it in the order, in compliance with 1 Corinthians 14.33, and as well with just leaning in by faith to say, I think the Lord's given me something to share. Could be wrong. So in the church setting, there's got to be order. But let's talk about with an individual. With an individual to maintain order, you should ask for permission. I say that because too many spiritual giants in this world think that they can just come up and tell people what they think. You should ask for permission. I have something that I think might be interesting for you. Would you like it if I shared it with you? And it's about this particular situation that you brought up to me before. Are you comfortable with that? And ask for permission. But in both cases, I want you to notice something. You could be told no. You could be told no. You could come up here and say, I think I got something from the Lord. And Dave Quilla says, hey, that doesn't fit right now. Thanks for sharing that. Um, but we're just not going to do that right now. You can do two things. You can walk away with humility or you can walk away bitter. Holding our gifts in love says, that's fine. It's to be evaluated. It was evaluated. I was told no. Great. I'll go back to my seat right you can be told by the individual no and you can walk away in humility and say hey the lord just doesn't want that share with him or you can go how dare they not want to hear from me right yeah if you got that attitude there's more issues to deal with right right but here's the bottom line we want humility and love to win the day in our hearts in this if we sincerely want to serve others then using our gifts for others means we're doing it with no strings attached Right? It's not, can I share this, and because it's me, you should say yes. Or if I share something with you, I deserve to get something in return. It's none of that. No, we're not, we're not giving the word to them to direct their lives. That's between them and God. We're giving, giving it to serve them, to care for them. Our job is simply to submit what we think the Lord has given to us in humility and in love for them. And when we do it, and if they say yes, or we get in the church, we don't have to say it in a weird way. Like, you know, thus saith the Lord. God is speaking to us. You don't have to do that. It doesn't have to sound like 17th century English to sound profound. Rather, you can say something like this. I could be mistaken. But I think there's something the Lord is showing me about the situation that you brought to me the other day and the Lord brought to mind, it it could be from the Lord. It may not be. Here's what I'd ask you to do. As a friend of mine would say, chew up the meat, spit out the bones, take it or leave it. Several years ago, Jill and I, I was preaching in another church. And after I got done preaching, Jill was sitting next to me like she always does. And uh, an elderly lady came up and she knelt down right in front of us. And she said, I have something I want to share with you, but I only want to share it with your permission. I said, absolutely. She said, if this is of the Lord, take it. If it's not, it won't happen. And I won't encourage you. And I just want you to know that it might've been something I ate for dinner last night. I said, great. And she just began to share two things. She shared were future that both have come to pass. Three of them were current. And she nailed every one of them. But she did it with such grace and humility that there was none of this directing life thing. It was just simply, here it is, take it or leave it, chew up the meat, spit out the bones. And we walked away with this sense of encouragement. We were consoled. We were cared for. We'd been wrestling through a couple things personally. And God gave, there's some direction to that even. But it was so gracious of God. See, remember, prophetic words... Even in that moment, they should be evaluated. We needed to evaluate that word based on our current situation, based on the word of God. And if somebody gives a word of God, that, of a prophecy that violates God's word, you immediately toss that aside. But if it doesn't violate God's word, chew up the meat, spit out the bones. But do this, marvel that God, that God would send anybody to talk to you like that. This woman, when she got done, Jill and I stood up, we hugged her, and I said, ma'am, can I just say something? It took so much courage for you to share this with us. stood up, we hugged her, and I said, ma'am, can I just say something? It took so much courage for you to share this with us. We want to say thank you. And whether or not any of this was true, I just want to say this. Thank you for your faith and your encouragement. We were We were edified. So evaluate it. When you receive it, evaluate it. Marvel that God would utilize people at all to come and talk with you. Marvel at God's act of love toward you. That he would even be, even in your little, tiny little situations, God is intervening in those moments. But important thing to remember, we see it here. If we're told to earnestly desire this gift, and we go about earnestly desiring it, We should expect that God's going to help us, and we should carefully and humbly receive it and give it. Now to recap, okay, here's the definition again. The gift of prophecy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind in human words for the edification of the church or an individual and is subject to evaluation. It could be a warning or confirmation given by God. It's to be helpful to Christians. It must be done in order and in submission to the local leaders and to the Bible. And we should prayerfully, prayerfully desire this gift as a means of glorifying God and serving His church. So as we close the day, I want to pray for three things. I want to pray for many of you because I know some of you are dealing with some situations that you need God to meet you in. You know, it's just situations that The Bible doesn't jump out and tell you right off the page exactly where to take that job or what contract to take, but you need God to give you wisdom. You need, you need a a word from God. I want to pray for that. Could be job finances, health, kids, your marriage, whatever. Secondly, I want to pray for us that God would grant us the wisdom to earnestly desire this type of thing. This is, this is loving one another at its finest where we're willing to hear from brothers and sisters when they say, would you pray for this? I don't know what to do. And we pray so earnestly in a sense. We say, God, would you help me help them? I want to serve them. That's that's what's in this gift. And I I want that to be a part of us. And that God would then grant us the faith to freely and humbly and carefully give and receive this kind of thing with one another. And then lastly, I want to pray that God would be glorified as we utilize this type of thing. Because I'm going to tell you, this, this speaks to the world about Jesus. It tells people all around, man, those people love each other well. That reveals something unique about them that only God could do. That's how I want us to pray. Let's pray. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.